Welcome to See the Change podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Ayala, Communications Director at Sea Change Initiative. This is a space to bring together community builders and change makers to hear the stories and inspire them to take action for social change. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe and connect with us online. This is part two of my conversation with MP Mumalak Kakuk. Today we discuss facing federal failures in providing adequate housing, affordable food, and access to healthcare in Nunavut, as well as the potential for solutions within communities. We also talk about lessons learned in 2020 and what's to come. Let's dive in. Housing is clearly a priority for you. You know, what you've spoken about in the House of Commons and with your housing tour, um, and very critical of the federal government's uh, failures. So beyond this, this federal funding um, that seems to be very elusive and, uh, and very frustrating to wait on um, for the, the large-scale housing projects, what do you think needs to be in place for maybe communities to have a meaningful role in, that, in the solution? I think there's a number of things that can be done uh, in the territory during my housing tour. One of the most inconsistent things were numbers um, and how many people were on the wait list or how many people does that include? And um, because if you're an individual in a community um, on a housing wait list, that doesn't necessarily record how many people you're coming with. If you have a spouse, if you have kids, any dependents or anything like that. So just initiatives like that, finding the true, the facts, the this is how many people are in need uh, of it. And this is how many people that they come with. I think that's the bigger one. Also, I'm going to go back to those not being aware of processes and systems, uh, how we can find the right information. Uh, the accurate information and how we can find solutions out of that, uh, I think, is the first step. But also just the, oh, my goodness, there's so many things. The infrastructure alone in communities is not like the places down here in Ottawa are built way better than they are in the territory. Uh, We call them matchbox houses. There's really old strips of rows of homes in communities that are often 40 or 50 years old. Um, that are all completely riddled with mold, all unlevel, really, really horrible homes. I, I think to me, what would be most important is that information. And then what do we actually need? Uh, what we do see often a lot in the territory. Um, everything that they're building for public housing right now are two unit bedrooms. A lot of people I've talked to say, we don't even throw those out. We don't even, we don't want a two bedroom. I have four kids. I have five kids. Like I don't, I don't need a two bedroom. I need a four or five bedroom. Uh, a lot of people are like, Go, we don't even want what they're making here now. Um, so there's there's a lot, a lot that people don't realize of even just finding the accurate information to still be them. Uh, it's still a long way to go. Maybe um, exploring solutions that lie outside of the, the bureaucracy of the housing corporations or federal funding. Um, do you think that there's an opportunity there um, to maybe put in place um, improved supply chain of materials or options for direct financing to families that um, they can 
in turn used to improve their own homes, take a hands-on community level approach to, to improving housing in communities. And that's, again, the beauty of colonization and how these oppressive systems work. The federal government does not subsidize Northern Airlines, but they, how do I say this? They provide funding for it. So the government of Nunavut, from what I understand, pays uh, uh, Canadian North First Air, which is our our major airline. Um, And then the federal government pays the government of Nunavut. So no one's actually subsidizing anything in between. Everybody's just paying a ton of money. Um, what really should happen is and should be happening for the last 20 years is that uh, First Air and Canadian North as an essential major airline should be subsidized like these ones down south are. Uh, we see with things like WestJet and, and Air Canada. Instead, what happens is the GM pays out of pocket and then they wait for the feds to pay whatever they're going to agree to pay for them. So in turn, uh, and, and this is the other part of what how things work in the territory. So from what I understand, there was a um, an airline company that was attempting to start up in the north, very similar to Canadian North First Air. Um, this little company was going to offer competitive prices. Then conveniently, First Air, for that first week of opening, lowered their prices to match this new competitor coming in, uh, sorry, lowered them even more. So this new competitor was blown out the water. Couldn't couldn't even get off the ground. How ironic for an, an airline. Couldn't even get off the ground at all. Um, because I believe, because all these liberal and conservative friends, so they say, hey, we don't want this happening because this means we lose a bunch of money here and here and here. So all that's what I mean. All of these things and all of these systems work so nicely to make it near impossible um, to even, how can we have homemade solutions? Uh, go back to igloos and tents, like, it is so incredibly difficult to, okay, let's talk about getting, you know, supplies up there. Well, then there's the airline. Well, can we get our own airline? No, that has been attempted. Like there's, it's, it's absolutely bonkers when you really dive into Nunavut, how really complicated and, and messy things get. Hmm. Interesting. That's interesting. I, I wasn't aware about that. Um, that situation with the airlines. I mean, of course, I, I knew that the shipping of um, of materials and, and goods is incredibly expensive. Um, but like you said, you know, part of the funding could certainly be used to subsidize that. It's not though. It's expensive if they don't subsidize it, and they have never. And they we we see immense amounts of subsidies everywhere. I and I can't. I look at so. Scott Reed is a conservative member of parliament. He's the chairperson for Giant Tiger, a $13 billion corporation, okay? Giant Tiger, the same people who own 64 Giant Tiger locations, right? Also own North Mart and the Northern stores are our main grocery stores. So don't tell me, this link with Giant Tiger, this $13 billion asset corporation, don't tell me you can't lower food prices in the territory. Don't tell me you can't subsidize airlines. 
there are clear links everywhere that people just aren't either acknowledging um, or finding that, you know, why is the conservative member of parliament a chairperson first off? Second, uh, how, how does Giant Tiger have 64 locations and own the main grocery chain in the north? How? And you, you want to tell me that you can't lower a price for a watermelon or for fruit and veggies. Like it's all, it all just reeks. It's all fishy, all of it, all of it. And, and that certainly ties back to um, those circumstances that lend to, to health crises, especially with access to, to food that is um, affordable. Coming back to 2020 as a whole, we're close to that one year mark of dealing with COVID in Canada, which is quite astounding to me. But what are your concerns for your constituents as this crisis drags out in Canada? Um, are you satisfied with the current state of the vaccine rollout? Nunavut only has capacity to have access to one vaccine uh, because we don't have the storage to hold the Pfizer, um, Nunavut does not have the capacity to hold, to store that, which is absolutely outrageous. There's another completely glaring inequality. We only have access to one, one vaccine of the two. Um, in terms of rollout, I've, I don't think it's fair for me to sit here as a politician and say this is how I think it should go because I'm not a health professional I don't think it's for me to say how I think it should go or if I agree or disagree because I don't understand fully how a pandemic works how the vaccine works I don't know and and I I'm a really hands-on person so I know more, I think, than most people in terms of how um, it interacts with the body and latches on and what it means, because it's not a full-blown stop. It's a, it prevents, it protects it. So there's all these layers, even in the scientific aspect of it. Um, so even, you know, what does a vaccine look like in an 18-year-old healthy individual compared to a 40-year-old that has had health problems? You know, I don't know these kinds of things. So does it make sense to roll out to vulnerable? Does it make sense to roll out to elders? Does it make sense? I don't know, because I am not a health professional. I, I, I don't know. Um, so I think to answer the question, nothing is ever fast enough. Uh, nothing is ever good enough. Um, I think in the vaccine rollout that people, I think what needs to be extremely, extremely communicated is the, the realness of what the vaccine does. And it, because it doesn't full blown stop COVID and we still need to be fully aware of that. And we still need to be, uh, uh, physical distancing until everybody can have access to the vaccine. So I, I think that there will always be kinks and those can be smoothed out. But I think the lack of, it's kind of, to me, it's more the messaging is like, here's the vaccine. We're all good. And I don't think that that's the messaging. I think we need to have the messaging stronger in here's the vaccine, but we still need to protect one another. And we still need to be fully aware that we're very much in this. 
So I think the messaging has been very, very weak on the Liberal side. Interesting. And have you heard feedback from your constituents about their experiences with the vaccine rollout? Clearly, there's always going to be, like you said, kinks to the plan. But in general, what has the response been like? In general, I would say more people don't realize the seriousness of it and that they should go and get it done. I think there's, uh, again, a lack of information of what it does. You know, Alvet had $2,000 incentives. You got your vaccine, your name got put in a jaw for $2,000. I don't agree with what, what is that? <laughs> what on earth? We, we're supposed to be helping and protecting one another. Um, but that's simply people not understanding again, that science part, what does it mean to be getting this injecting? And and again, let's think about the history. Let's think about TB. Let's think about being forcibly removed from your community for health care. And let's think about how you still, you know, there's such a lack of health resources in Nunavut. Most communities, if you're going to have a baby, you leave a month before and you go outside of the territory, just in case case there's any complications everybody from my hometown baker lake goes to winnipeg four weeks before they're due um and now with covid you have to stay in isolation for two weeks after you're cleared so could you imagine you go four weeks down before you wait to have your baby and then you wait to get cleared and now you got to wait another two weeks in isolation before you even get back to the territory so i think there's just an, an immense uh, lack of, that's what I mean, lack of basic health care. Most communities have a fly-in, fly-out doctor. They don't, Baker Lake doesn't have a doctor there 24-7. Uh, and it's a, you know, it's a growing community where it's needed. Uh, you were mentioning the, um, the communication and the, uh, the messaging around the vaccine and what do you feel might be kind of the missing link? Do you think the communications um, materials or the messaging needs to be adapted in a way? Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, fear mongering uh, and there's a lot of lateral violence in Nunavut. And again, that's the colonization when it's working. Um, People really start to turn on each other. So there's a lot of ideations that don't believe in vaccines. Very, um, it's not true. If it was meant to be, God will let it be, kind of thing. Um, so I think a lot of, and that's why I just say uh, a lack of education. People aren't aware of how it interacts with the body, so therefore it's not good for the body, um, if that makes sense. So I think a lot more plain, not even like, I don't know if plain, in, plain language is the right phrase, but I guess accessible. Accessible information, I guess, in, yeah, in your, in whatever language you speak. Um, so for a lot of people, like if you interact with them in English, you might be like, okay, but if you interact with them in Inuktitut, you're like, holy cow, that's a genius right there. Um, so language for sure is, is probably a, is a big one too. Yeah, absolutely. Beyond uh, 
COVID and, and vaccine, you know, mental health has been another prevalent issue way before COVID, but maybe even more so now. And thank you for being so open about your experiences with burnout and depression and anxiety leading up to your sick leave late last year. Why was it important to you to speak candidly about your mental health? It was being transparent and honest with my constituents. Um, We have seen leader after leader, politician after politician, just not give us the full scope and not be as transparent and open as they should be. And uh, my whole thing has always been politics can look, feel, and be different. So I knew that when I came back from work, it was going to be, this is exactly what I was going. This is exactly why I was off because this is what I told you I was going to give to you. And I told you I was going to be open. I told you I was going to be honest and (laughs) Honestly, man, Christmas and New Year sucked because I was just riddled with anxiety of how am I even going to tell everybody this is what I was going through and oh, how can, you know, how can an MP burn out like that and have to take that much time off and all the money I make and people are going to, man, it wasn't fun at all. Um, So it, it took uh, a bit to even grasp that okay, I I do need uh, to put the brakes on because it was getting really serious. It was, uh, I, I looked at my doc and I was like, I don't know what happens after this burnout. I physical shutdown. And he basically said, yeah, you need to stop. Um, and it was, it was really, really serious. So it, it took me a few weeks to even kind of wrap my head around that. What, what do I need to do? Uh, how did I get myself into this spot? Uh, what can I do to help get out of it? Um, and even that it was like, oh, I'm not working. I'm not doing all these things. I had all these plans and oh my goodness. And that's just, it felt like that for quite a bit. So really it was, um, kind of coming back around and saying, okay, this is what I can handle as a human being in this capacity right now. These are the things I need to work on and just being able to, it's hard. It's really hard, but it's, I'm realizing more and more that that's, that's life I've been saying to my counselor like why didn't anybody tell us this (laughs) why didn't anyone tell us it was gonna be like this they lied to us the whole time like I I felt so ripped off because I felt like we were raised where all of a sudden like you graduate and you go to school and you start figuring it out and like you figure it out but you that's not how it works you need to work really hard and constant and be continuing to try and and better yourself and your life and the things going on around you and finding healthy outlets and coping mechanisms but it's hard work it is consistent hard work and that's just how life goes and that's just how it is but I felt really ripped off because no one told me that (laughs) I thought all of a sudden I was gonna like figure it out no I'm still I feel exactly the same way you do my thing is if I'm not doing it who will I'm the best person to be in this position. I'm really good at my job. I'm really, really good at being a member. I'm really good at representing a group of people and interacting with them. Most days it's enough and some days it's not, but that's just how life works and that's okay. So I just, I I try really focus on my 
good aspects of my day and not the frustrating part and that's just life and that's okay for sure for sure and uh you know I, I've seen some of the the conversation online um when you did return back to work it seemed to be in overall um positive and welcoming um is that what you expected mm, I there are certain things that I try not to have expectations going into um I had an expectation of myself where this is what I'm gonna say and this is the level of openness I'm gonna have and I'm gonna take a big step back off of social media so um even the position we have posted right now in Ottawa it's a very social media heavy position. So for me, it was taking an actual step back and not looking at those comments and conversations as much as I might have before. Okay, that that certainly makes sense. Setting those boundaries is incredibly important. Um, how have been? How have you found? Um, I guess staying connected with your constituents. What what do you what do you do to to make sure that you're still keeping a pulse on what's going on in your territory? It's very Facebook central. You want to find out something, just hop on Facebook and community events or a cell swap page or whatever they have in that community. Facebook is very much um, how people interact a lot. Um, I've also been to the territory a lot compared to previous Nunavut members of parliament, uh, a lot. I've been into isolation three times. So I've spent a month and a half um the doing the two weeks before going back up to the territory so since being elected I wouldn't say half but definitely closer to that um a lot of um there's a number of things that my office uh does so in terms of staying in touch with my constituents we have uh mailers that go out every so often so people can write on that and send it back if they wanted to um we communicate primarily through social media. Um, and then I'm in touch quite a bit with uh, local news like uh, Nunatsiaf News and uh, ABTN, CBC. And we also just try and have a very um, consistent, um, open update kind of discussion between uh, NTI and the GN. Uh, so those, those kinds of individuals will get kind of like an update every few weeks. Um, that is very similar to the newsletter that we put out to just say, this is what we've been up to. Um, so it's kind of the very traditional phone call, email, um, writing letters. Um, and lots of people write letters uh, in the territory um, or uh, social media primarily. And then we've been searching for ways and I'm hoping my I can fill my position so we can start doing some community engagement stuff. Okay, interesting. Um, and, and I guess just kind of like a, a final note, um, what is one of the most important lessons you've learned in 2020? And what are you most excited to be working on in 2021? Balance is key, balance in my life. If I have an hour or a day of hard stuff, then I need to figure out how I'm gonna uh, create those healthy emotional outlets to not keep everything bottled up inside and go crazy. <laughs> um, so I, I think balance in terms of uh, emotional, physical, that has really been great uh, 
in 2020 discovering and learning all those things and finding my people and my supports and my circle and uh, has been super great so I think just finding out more about me and how I work in the world and then finding people around me that uh, are supportive and think similarly and it's been really good in in those ways 2021 oh my goodness I hope to see the light at the end of the tunnel from COVID but that is something that is in a sense out of our hands um just with the the disease itself um I hope that we can start to see a vaccine a full rollout and I'm not sure how this conversation sparks, but to ensure that we have as many people vac- uh, vaccinated as we can, um, and that people are getting the right um, the amount of information that they need to make a educated decision. Um, I hope. I mean, there's lots of things I can hope for. What I plan on doing <laughs> is calling out all the liberals for all their BS because what we saw in 2020 was uh, they delayed their response to missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, national calls to action. And I think they were telling us in November that they are not going to end boil water advisories by March. And we're like, bro, we're still four or five months from there and you're telling us that you're failing it already? Okay, that's cool. Um, But then they want to fluff up their feathers and say, we're doing readings of the UN declaration which is probably going to be mauled and going to have sneaky little things in there um, that I believe that the Canadian government, the federal government refuses to adopt the UN declaration because it has the power and ability to demolish the Indian Act and aspects of land claims agreements where they will actually have to give Indigenous peoples our human rights. And that's going to cost them a lot of money. A lot. Could you imagine if they actually provided adequate housing for Nunavut? That's a lot of money. That's a ton of money. And I think that's why they don't want to, we're not, our lives are not worth that dollar value to them. That's a, that's an interesting um, perspective and insight to, to frame it that way. Um, so there's a, a lot to work on. Mm-hmm. So it'll 2020 will just be me bringing things to light. No, this is actually what's happening because you, you, it looks on the outside like it's kind of okay. Like, oh, they did this and that, but they're going to adopt the UN declaration. No, they're going to adopt a document that they're going to call the UN declaration, but still has what they want in it. I know is what's going to happen. So it'll be pushing to make sure that those things don't happen. And we actually see what we need to in, in the federal institution. Thanks for listening to See the Change podcast. This has been a Sea Change Initiative production, written, edited, and produced by myself, Tanya Ayala, music by Charles the Emperor. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Sea Change Initiative, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. For more information about our guest, Check the show notes for more links and resources. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.